It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into Locked On Knicks, Alex. Another episode, another big time guest. We're joined by Mike Borkanov of The Athletic to talk initially about Killian Hayes, but it's a pretty wide ranging conversation. Yeah, there's a lot. You know, we talked about uh, about the article that Mike wrote about Killian Hayes and, you know, talked with his coach over in Europe and, you know, sort of get into why we think Killian might be pretty NBA ready, things of that nature. Uh, We talk about some deals that, you know, Mike cooked up in a recent piece that he talked out with John Hollinger uh, and, you know, just sort of the what the strategy should be for the Knicks going into this offseason as far as trying to win now. You know, we, of course, talk about Chris Paul, talk about Van Vliet and guys like that and just kind of the overall strategy that Mike would take if he was, you know, running the Knicks. And then we finish off with an interesting convo um, about another article that Mike wrote about how James Dolan has sort of turned the Knicks political um, in that, you know, he was uh, Congressman Max Rose had spoken out against him and said that he should sell the team. And Dolan turned around and gave $50,000 to a Republican super PAC and sort of turned the Knicks into a political arm in a way uh, because of basically saying, if you insult my team as a, as a congressperson, I'm going to donate to your uh, so we talk about that article with Mike and about how the process of that was and and just sort of his takeaways from writing that article. So that's all coming up next on this really fun and robust episode of Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and as promised, another episode with another special guest. We have Mike Borkanov, the Knicks and NBA reporter for The Athletic. 
Uh, Mike, you came on this podcast. I, I know this just because on Skype, it tells me how long it's been since I last Skyped you. It was four months ago. It feels like a very long time. Uh, before we get into basketball stuff, I just wanted to check how you're doing. Um, I assume you're based out of New York, and I assume you've dealt with this like long quarantine like everyone has. So um, how are you, and uh, how are you holding up? I don't feel all that special if I'm just another special guest. I just want to state that right off the top. I just want to throw We had Ian Begley on, so it's, just, it's, good, it's good company. So you're just tearing me. It's like, I'm Ian, saying, I'm saying like then the, I'm on the next tier. You, no, no, no. I was saying it's you, Begley, maybe, I, I don't even know, maybe Berman. I don't know. I don't know if anyone else would be in there. You might, you might be tier one. So it's like, it's the, you're, you are in shared company, but it's elite shared company. Okay. I do like that you say it to my face that you might be tier one. It's very good to tier people and not that highly to their face. That way you can't be accused of saying it behind their back. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know, month, whatever of, uh, of pandemic life. Um, you know, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. All right. All right. We'll take that. Um, <laughs> and, um, I'm actually, we're going to start off by referencing an article you, you wrote around last time we had you on, uh, you got to talk to Killian Hayes's coach, whose name I think is pronounced Jake Lakovich. It might be more European. It might be less European. I'm not sure. I believe sure. it's uh, oh, Jaka. Jaka, sorry. Yeah, Jaka Lakovich. I just saw. I don't know. I read it and I was like, "That's Jake. That's Jake." <laughs> How offended would he have been if you'd called him Jake? And he's like, "It's Jaka." I, I believe he's Croatian, if I remember right. So you you go with that uh, sound at the end. Jaka. Yeah. He's Slovenian. I think, I think sorry, he's Slovenian. Yeah, well, Vini, okay. great, great country for basketball as of late. Um, anyways, Killian Hayes is coach. And I know more recently, you actually I, I assume it was in like a pool reporting setting. You got to actually talk to Killian Hayes. And uh, that's that's a long winded way of getting uh, of me asking you kind of what what your feel is for him and what you think about him. Like everything I've just from like a personality perspective, like I tend to really like him. Um I, I think in general, like, it's hard not to, like, most guys coming into the draft, like, all, all of these kids just seem, like, mature beyond their years. But Killian in particular, and I think it was emphasized in the article, like, in some ways how young it was, like, you, you, um, his coach talked about how he didn't uh, know how to cook an omelet when they were telling him that he had to eat better. And he's like, okay, but I don't really know how to do that. <laughs> and then at the same time, he was making this comparison. His coach had played with Ricky Rubio um, a decade ago in in, Bar in uh, Barcelona in the 2009-2010 season and was saying like, yeah, he had that kind of responsibility on this team. He was the point guard for this team. So I was, just, I was kind of interested to see what, what you thought about Killian. I think he's a really interesting pro prospect. I mean, I, the thing about the omelet was just, you know, like he's 18 uh, or he was like 17 when he um, joined uh, the team in Germany. And like they're really, you know, like I sometimes think it's forgotten just like especially entering the draft. Like we think of them as full, full fledged adults, but they're 17, 18 years old when they get into especially like a European team. And so, um, you know, the, that was kind of the way of the, the coach. uh Yakolakovich uh, saying that, you know, he had matured a lot throughout his year um, in Germany with the team. And he did give him the uh, the reins of the team right away. Um, and Killian Haynes seems like a, you know, really interesting prospect that, you know, I think he's 18. He'll be 19 at the start of next season, if I remember that correctly. Um, you know, and uh, I think he's one of the more intriguing prospects in this in this draft, especially amongst point guards. And uh, there's there's a lot to like about him. I was kind of interested during his Zoom calls uh, for Combine Media Day or whatever that is. Um, he was saying the guys that he watches, you know, guys are like uh, James Harden, I remember, but also uh, 
uh, uh, Goran Dragic and Milos uh, Tedesevic. Um, so that's like that's a, an eclectic uh, collection of players that he watches film of and tries to learn from. Tedesevic. I missed I messed that name up so poorly. Milos Tedesevic. Tedesevic. Yes. I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Yes. And I'm Russian and I mess up these Eastern European names. As the as the resident name pronouncer of Locked On Knicks, I will give that my stamp of approval at Tedesevic. Yeah. Alex was the first person to get Pokachevsky right. So. And uh, and apparently Denny Avdia, we got a we got a DM saying, I just want to say thank you to Alex for being the one person that actually says <laughs> Denny Avdia properly on podcast. Um, <laughs> God, that person's gonna hate me messing up all those names just now. Yeah, oh, I don't know. He's yeah. rightfully so. We're ready for the hate mail by me saying Jake. So I think you're in the. <laughs> <laughs> um, at any rate, yeah, I wanted to like I I wanted to pull one quote from that article from uh, Lakovich if that's how we're going with the pronunciation. He said, uh, all the pressure, all the demands fell on him, referring to Killian. Uh, he said he was handling this at 18 years old extremely well, being coachable, never having any problems with him. He did a lot of work by himself. I was extremely demanding, and I think it helped him in a good way, just becoming a better player, better leader, and, of course, off the court matured as a person. Um, Mike, I'm kind of curious your thoughts. Like, I think that speaks volumes like the, this interview that you did was pretty important to me in evaluating Killian as a prospect, because I wouldn't expect this coach to say anything bad of him per se. Cause obviously these, you know, these, these kids coaches are trying to get them drafted. Like they're trying to see them succeed in their careers and stuff. And um, also having alums, you know, of their team in the NBA, I'm sure helps their standing in Europe as far as recruiting new players and stuff like that. But, you know, I think that, reading those comments about how he basically at 18 years old was able to run a pro team where I, you know, it's pretty well known that in Europe, you know, the, the structure is a little different than the U S like they're not quite so quick to give the reins to a team to someone who's so young and unproven. And yet Killian did it. And, you know, if, if you look at his numbers from his time playing there, only got better as time went on. And by the end of the year was like shooting a pretty solid percentage on three pointers. Like there was, I think, like a two month stretch to end the season where he was shooting, I don't know, like 37 percent or something like that from three. Um, it, I, I totally pulled that number out of my ass, but it's something like that um, where he was shooting a really good percentage for the last you know X number of months of the season. Um, do you think that there's something to be said for the fact that he was able to sort of rise through the ranks and become a leader on a, a European team like that so quickly, um, considering that they have sort of a more of a like a veteran forward approach generally with most European teams other than like their developmental league teams, which are a different story? Yeah, for sure. And I think the the way it came about was that I believe his uh, agents also sought out a team where he would get a lot of playing experience all at once, a lot of playing time uh, immediately. And then, you know, obviously that was on the team um, to give him that right away, too. Right. Uh, you know, as you said, I think Europeans are a lot more fickle about playing time than even like college programs are, even if you have a star recruit type of player. Um but he, you know, he earned it. He kept it. Uh, he played uh, throughout the year. He was, I think, was their starting point guard, if I remember correctly, throughout the year. Um, and he, you know, he most of he mostly played well. You know, the shooting could get better. But yeah, I think it does say something about him that he didn't go there and play like ten minutes a night, right? Like he went and he played in the German league, and he played immediately, and he played about uh, I think twenty minutes a game, 
at uh, in France at 17 years old, and he started all 30 games at Um this year. So th- I think it does say something about uh, a player, especially in Europe, at 18, if they're able to play immediately and play a, a big role. Just a reminder, today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. Rockauto.com really is the place to go if you want to get some parts to fix up your car. If you're like me, it's fun to sort of fix your car up and do something that, you know, is normally a little out of your comfort zone. And, uh, you know, it's it's something that I like to do just on my free time. If, you know, I want to go outside and get my hands dirty a little bit and learn something new, you know, pull up a YouTube video and, and fix my car. The thing is, though, going into brick and mortar auto parts stores has always been kind of a hassle for me because you go in. You have this one part that you need, and then they ask you all these probing questions that you probably don't know the answer to because you're just like, dude, I need this one part. I need to get it and like get out of here. And then, of course, because it's this tiny little store, they don't have it in stock. They have to order it special for you. Sometimes it takes up to a couple weeks to come in, and then you get the bill, and you're like, oh, my God, how much did I just pay for this? I should have just gone to the mechanic you know, because now I have to go through the trouble of installing it myself, too. Uh, That's where rockauto.com comes in and really makes life easy. You know, you just go onto their website. There's an easy to navigate menu where you pick the make of your car and then the year, the model, and then the trim package. And you're greeted with this really easy to navigate list where you can find the part that you need or sometimes even multiples of the same part and, you know, figure out which one is best for you, what's going to fit your needs and make the selection on your own time. And then when it comes to opening up your wallet, you find that, you know, it's as inexpensive as you can find anywhere on the internet because rockauto.com is going to give you the same deal that they would give to a mechanic or anybody else and ship it right to your door without any hassle from those brick and mortar auto stores. So if you're interested in checking out all the parts available for your car or truck, head to rockauto.com right now. And if you decide to pull the trigger and pick up a part for your car, write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And let me also tell you about Built Go. You might have heard about Built Bars. Now I'm going to tell you about Built Go. This is a new product from the makers of Built Bar. Built Go makes you the best you at whatever you do. And break through your wall, guys. Break through it. Whether it's mental or physical, Built Go is going to help you get there. They come in a little one and a half ounce squeezy pouch. Uh, it's really small. You know, it's it portable. You can take it anywhere and, you know, just rip open the top and, and drink it down. And it's, you know, it, you can put it in your briefcase so that you can be focused for your presentation once you get back to work, that is. Although you could also, I mean, some people might carry a briefcase at home for COVID just to feel like they're in the moment. Uh, you could put it in your golf bag to go power through the back nine. Or you could just put it in your back pocket, carry it with you for when you need an energy boost throughout the day. It is the absolute best workout gel on the market. It's like five-hour energy, but where you don't get that crash feeling afterwards where you feel like you're going to die and like you're coming off the the biggest sugar and caffeine high of your life. Um, And it comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. I have actually done these personally. I've tried all these flavors before my workouts recently, and they all taste great. And they all honestly gave me a huge energy boost and let me get through way more reps than I figured I'd be able to. And I've honestly been seeing my weight even go up recently because I've been able to power through on the, you know, on the weights that I'm at 
and it's allowing me to move up in my workout, which has been really, really beneficial. Um, these couple COVID pounds now that my gym is opened back up safely and uh, Built Go has been a huge, huge help as far as that's concerned. And how, so how does it work though? Built Go combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is a fast absorbing product. So it gets into your system fast, plus it's easy on your stomach. I mean, I could say that these products taste sort of like honey with flavoring, and it's it's very pleasing to eat. Uh, it's also loaded with good stuff to ignite your workout or just your day if you need the energy. Beta alanine, uh, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. And then it also gives you a kick to keep you going strong. It gives you vitamins B6 and B12 for 10,000% of your daily recommended percentage, which is way, way, way good. Uh, the collagen also promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. And so it, it actually makes you look better too, you know, and on top of giving you the energy that you need. So if you're interested in picking up some Built Go, visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get $30 off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Yeah, I, I I went I went sort of back and forth on Killian where he, he was he, I think he's one of those guys where the more and more you watch him, the more you become convinced of him and versus him just watching like his highlight tape, even compared to someone like Cole Anthony. I'm like, ah, I don't really see it. But then you watch like full games and all of a sudden you're like, oh, OK, this is this is the guy that you actually want out of this draft at the point guard spot. But but that was that was sort of the bigger picture thing, Mike, that I wanted to get into. I was kind of curious what direction you think they're going to go in terms of solving their point guard situation. And I think it's been stated over and over again, them trading for someone like Chris Paul um, doesn't and shouldn't necessarily preclude them from drafting a point guard. But what do you think is the ideal way to handle this position, given that it's, I mean, it's been essentially a missing piece for the Knicks for two decades now. I'm personally kind of of the opinion they shouldn't fixate it on it too much. And with the draft, just go BPA. And maybe even in terms of trade and free agency, just go BPA. And even if they end up with someone like DJ Augustine next year running the point, I would be perfectly okay with that if it means they get better wings in return. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm generally for going best player available um, in the draft no matter what. Um, I don't think that, you know, obviously they need a point guard, but like, if we're being honest here, then the Knicks need a lot of everything, right? Uh, the point guard is a pressing issue, but they need more wings. They need, um, uh, well, they're probably set at, at, at big with Mitchell Robinson, but you know, they need more wings too. Right. So, and, and there should be a good number of wings in that number eight area, um, available too. So I, I think that you should go best player available, um, and just go from there. I think you, if you want, like, you know, you can get a, a guy in free agency to kind of buy time until, say, 2021 if you don't like any of the point guards in this draft and you want to pick your uh, point guard of the future <clears throat> next year. Um, you know, I, I think if maybe if they want to go the Chris Powell route, that kind of sets you up for the next two years, right? And in that time, that gives you a two-year window to acquire your next point guard, a younger guy. And I, I don't think it's a bad idea either. If they really like, like, Killian Hayes and he's there at eight, you draft him and you let him kind of um, play behind Chris Paul. It's rare for rookies of any sort to be good immediately, let alone rookie point guards. And you give them two years to kind of acclimate to the NBA. And in the meanwhile, uh, you do have a really good veteran, um, uh, you know, like top 12, 15 player at point guard who should make you better right away. And so you get the best of both worlds. I think there's just a number of ways they could go. I think the worst thing they can do is force the issue. You know, if like 
they're at eight and there's no good point guards. You know, if Killian Hayes is off the board and LaMelo Ball is off the board and, you know, the next point guard on their draft is like Kyra Lewis, but he's their 14th best player. You don't need to force it and pick him at eight just because he's a point guard, right? The idea of potentially trading down too that they're not necessarily married to that eight spot uh, and that they see talent throughout the draft. So hopefully that would be something where if they're prioritizing point guard, you know, and they don't want to go with a wing at eight, they find some team that wants a wing at eight and then can trade down to go after a Kyra Lewis or Cole Anthony or something of that effect or some guy like that. Um, I'm actually kind of, while we're sort of on the, on the topic of Chris Paul and all that too, I'm curious what your read is at this point. Um, you know, we asked Ian Begley the same thing, you know, the other day we were kind of asking him like likelihoods he thinks of, of guys that might end up on the Knicks. And, you know, I, Chris Paul, I think is the one that is coming up the most lately because of obvious ties to Leon Rose, um, you know, and just the fact that it seems like he on from Oklahoma City uh, in sort of a mutual divorce there because they seem to want to, you know, move into more rebuilding mode with those 8,000 first round picks coming over the you know next seven years or so, which is just insane to think about. <laughs> um, but I mean, what's your read on the Paul situation? Like, do you are you viewing it as more like an inevitability at this point? Or do you still think there's like a really decent chance that the Knicks are not going to make any sort of deal for Chris Paul? I, you know, I have to, I don't know what Ian said, but um, I, I do think it's kind of hard to get a read on the Knicks so far. Um, Leon Rose is someone that I just, you know, reporting on him and, and trying to get to know more about him seems to play things very close to the vest. Um, for what it's worth, sorry not to interrupt, but yeah, go for it. You basically just said almost exactly what Ian said the other day, oh, which okay. is, he was like, he was like, this front office is like really tight lipped, and you know, it, it doesn't seem like they're letting too much loose as far as strategy or anything like that. So anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, listen, maybe more will become evident down the line. Like we have to remember kind of where we are in the current um, like off season cycle, right? I think things are going to be so if you remember after last off season, they sent the NBA like really went into hyperdrive about trying to uh, stamp out tampering. Right. And so by doing that, I think that kind of moved the free agency market back a little bit, um, which also kind of moved back the communication cycles between the uh, between teams and between agents. Right. And so I think that probably gums up how much information gets out there so now we're doing that this year this is the first year of that in addition to the uncertainty of what uh the cap is going to be what the bri is going to be what um teams do or do not have financial issues that could force them to you know trade players if they need to so i think kind of everything is maybe a little bit slower this year like um as we're trying to understand what the knicks or any other team will try to do this off season uh i think that's kind of contributing to kind of uh, the lack of information, at least on my part, and I guess Ian and others about what the Knicks might try to do is just there's so many different variables up in the air um, <laughs> this year about what could happen just league wide, right? Like as much as the Knicks want to do something, they're also one of 30 teams who are um, living in that ecosystem. And uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't think anything is off the table. Like you mentioned, you know, them trading down, like nothing they do, I think would surprise me. I don't expect them to do anything rash. Um, I don't th expect them to do anything where they like really consolidate their future to go for it right now because it, it does seem that Leon Rose and um, William Wesley and Scott Perry have the time from James Dolan right now uh, to kind of build things out as they want to do. And so 
I could see them going a number of ways. I, I think they'll be in the Chris Paul market, but part of that is probably where does Chris uh, Chris Paul want to go, right? Like, what does he want to do with the rest of his career? He's 35. He's got two years left on this contract. You know, like, does he want to go to New York? Does he want to go to Philly, Milwaukee? Like, I assume that the Thunder will give him some agency um, in trying to determine his next uh, team to some degree. Yeah, and I think that was pointed out by, um, I, I think Ian had this point in the last podcast, like Sam Presti had, does have a track record of doing that with guys like Russell Westbrook and Paul George and, and sort of sending them in the right direction. And a uh, friend of the show, Jonathan Macri, had, has, uh, had some reporting suggesting that uh, Chris would be willing to come to New York. So that would certainly be interesting. Mike, I think that leads us into sort of a bigger picture philosophy question. Um, I, I'm curious what you think the Knicks perspective on this is, but I also want your perspective on it. Do you think the Knicks have any mandate in terms of how many games they want to win next year? Because I think you, you just did a, a trade value piece with, or excuse me, a, a speculative trade machine piece with Hollinger. <laughs> and he was, he was noting, um, and, and this is what I've been saying all off season, like the Knicks can sort of do what they want. And I think it's going to be very, very hard for them to be too good next year. And there, there's a lot of like, um, consternation about the idea of like trading for Chris Paul, accidentally winning 45 games and taking yourself out of what's um, considered by a lot of people to be one of the like two or three best drafts in the last decade, maybe the best draft in the last decade. And like you could argue like, OK, like it, this would be quintessential Knicks for this to be the year they accidentally are, are competent and, and then they don't get the right guy and then they fall off. Um, and, and clearly the ceiling play is to be as bad as possible. But I, I think what a lot of people miss there is like so much would have to go so incredibly right for the Knicks to be really, really good. I, I think there's a way to sort of strike a middle ground there. Um, but it is kind of contingent on getting Chris Paul because he seems like the one guy they could get that would genuinely like shift their ceiling by more than 10 wins. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think, you know, like someone else pointed out to me, you know, the way that the bottom of the East is, um, and I don't know, I don't know if it's going to be weak, you know, probably just as weak next year as it was this year. But like, you know, it's not conceivable that with the cap space that they have and the assets that they have, that even without trading for Chris Paul or maybe with trading for Chris Paul, they can contend for a playoff spot. Um, and, and I think the Knicks will try to get better next year. I don't think better means like, okay, they're going to, you know, use everything they have to get like a bunch of vets and try to win 45 to 50 games just because they need to get better. But I think they will try to improve the team off the like the 28 ish win team that they had this year and provide a better ecosystem for, um, you know, RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson and whoever their rookie is this year uh, to try to get better and kind of get adjusted to the NBA. But they can go a number of ways. I, you know, I, I don't know if there should be like a lot of consternation that by trading for Chris Paul, um, you take yourself out of the 2021, like top of the draft market. Like it's supposed to be a deep draft for one and for two, you know, even if you win like 35 games, we've seen, you can still jump to the top of the draft, right? Um, just by trading for Chris Paul, it doesn't mean you're guaranteed to win like 40 games. You don't know what will happen if you make that trade, you know, if he'll be able to stay healthy as well, you might be able to have the best of, of both worlds to some degree to win 40 games and still get like a top four pick potentially. Uh, but at some point I think that. 
I, I think no matter what, like you have to have some uh, forward momentum to to some degree uh, if you're the Knicks. And that doesn't mean just like going all out for the AT, but it does mean like getting more talent in there, providing a more like hospitable uh, situation for growth for young players and and just going from there. Yeah, I'm I'm with that. You know, in this trade piece too, I think you brought up some pretty interesting. There are some dumb trades in there, by the way, and that's for me making those trade offers. But we can go from there. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some pretty interesting ones to consider, though. I mean, the one that stood out to me was the potential move up deal, where the Knicks trade uh, the number eight pick and DSJ for the number four pick and eating Thaddeus Young's contract, which. Uh, as you and Hollinger noted in the piece, is only uh, partially guaranteed for the second year. He's he's being paid about thirteen and a half million over two years, but the second year of it is only guaranteed for six million, uh, meaning for next summer. So I mean that's uh, that's still though something that I think the Bulls might consider uh, if they're trying to sort of trim the fat a little bit um, and you know get off of even that six million dollars for next year plus. You know, again, as Hollinger noted, like the the difference in salaries between the the number eight and number four pick, which is actually somewhat significant. Um, yeah, and I, I think, and, and if I can ahead. interject, just like the whole sure. the whole point of that at trade was not like necessary. Okay, this is the trade. I was kind of more of like a starting off point too. Is like the Knicks should see if there are other teams out there who are going to be financially limited next year, and so they're to kind of trade off better assets just to get off of money, right? Like whether that's the Bulls who are a big market team but have traditionally been kind of low spenders and so maybe they're willing to get off of $20 million so and are and to do that like they'll fall down four spots in the lottery if they have to, but maybe that's Charlotte. Like Charlotte's not necessarily like a financial juggernaut as a franchise, right? Who knows what they'll do with the number 3 pick and, and what their limitations are, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's Oklahoma City. Maybe that's, you know, as we discussed later, like in that same story, you know, maybe that's Indiana. Like there are a number of teams that could be financially limited next year and need to do something about it. And that's really, it seems like to me, an area where um, the Knicks can make hay and, and exploit uh, the trade market. Yeah, it's funny, too, because, uh, you know, Reinsdorf, the the Bulls owner, was apparently until his, his uh, new president of basketball operations basically like publicly bullied him into letting him fire his coach. He apparently was very against firing Jim Boylan because he didn't (laughs) want to be paying two coaches at the same time. Uh, So maybe that's their way to recoup a little bit of that uh, Jim Boylan money (laughs) is to shave off. There's a, there's the thing about the Bulls. I remember like a few years ago, I think it was like something about Europe, like maybe European scouting, like every team paid $10,000 to like invest in some European scouting system or something, but except for the bulls, like they didn't want to invest in that. And so they weren't able to get like the results of it. It was something like that where they were pay like $10 for like Reinsdorf runs that organization. Yeah. He runs it. Like it's one of the three biggest cities in the U S and he runs it as if it's Oklahoma city or, you know, Indianapolis or something of, of that nature. Um, and with one of the biggest fan bases, thanks to, you know, employing the best player to ever play basketball. Uh, but at any rate, I, I guess that sort of brings me to an interesting question. Like if you were, I know that you're usually a little more, uh, uh, willing to sort of talk about your own perspective on these things, uh, you know, and sort of give like Mike Vorkanov's opinion of what he would do if he was the Knicks, like what would your opinion be on the Knicks cap space this offseason? Because obviously, 
as you just noted, that's something that they have that's an advantage this year uh, in that there's certain financial implications of COVID going forward. It sounds like, you know, the league and the NBA Players Association and all that are um, sort of on board to just sort of smooth things over for this offseason and, you know, just be like, we're going to hold the status quo or maybe even take the, you know, the the cap hike, the, you know, the $5 million or so extra uh, on the salary cap this year that was planned, you know, all the way back before COVID mm-hmm. and just sort of keep business as usual. But I, I don't think anybody really knows what the long-term implications are going to be, particularly going into next off season, as far as, um, you know, if they're not able to have fans this coming season, if it's going to be a shortened season, et cetera, et cetera. There's all these other factors that could lead to a lower salary cap next year. Um, and the Knicks have this glut of cap space again this year with not, exactly the best players to spend it on but like there's a case to be had for spending on guys like van vliet to try to make the team better there's a case to be made for spending on guys like van vliet to try to trade you know at some point you know sort of similar to marcus morris in a way um and then there's a case to be had i think for also just being a salary dumping ground and just trying to take on you know other teams big contracts and get some picks in exchange especially because there's probably a lot of teams that are because of covid that they're not going to want to pay luxury tax and all that this coming year, particularly if they're repeat offenders where you sometimes get charged like up to 200 or I think even 300% of the amount that you are over the luxury tax line. So like, what's your sort of take on that? Like if you were the Knicks, what would you be doing this off season? What would you be prioritizing with that huge amount of cap space? You know, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to $45 million they're going to have. Yeah, I mean, I think with the space that they have, I don't see why it's, you know, inconceivable to kind of do both, right? You can use it to, if you want, say, acquire a player like Fred Van Vliet and go, you know, be the top suitor for him, right? But then you still have some $20 million there to take on another team's, like, troubled asset, uh, troubled contract that they need to get off of and acquire, like, a future asset for it to build your your group of um, picks and young players to make a, to make a play for the next you know, unhappy star to hit the market. I think that's, I think that's the nice thing about what they have right now is like they're in a place where they can do both things. I think right now, um, to try to play for the future and and try to get better for the uh, twenty twenty one. Um, and they should do both things. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other, right? You know, like I mentioned, uh, the Luke Kennard trade in there, right? Like that would help them now, and it would help them going forward, right? Um, you know, if you look at a team like the Bulls, you know, if you try to take Thad Young off of them or whatever like that, you can probably get something good for it. But Thad Young will also help you get better, you know, next season, right? Like he can play in that front court next to uh, Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson somewhere along the line. So I, I think, you know, the, I think that's what they'll have to do is to kind of walk that line to, to get better, to get gradually better, but also find a way to maintain and improve on their um, group of picks and young players to go forward. And, and I think... You know, if you listen to some like agents or people, execs, team personnel um, around the league, they think that, you know, there might be some opportunities to do that where like teams are just need to trade away players that they necessarily wouldn't trade away just because the financial ramifications of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I love the idea. I mean, that's I mean, that's essentially why Marcus Morris was their best signing last year. He made them a lot better. 
a lot more palatable to watch for half a season, what ended up being like 65% of the Knicks season. And then they were able to get a first round pick for him. Um, I was kind of hoping that someone like Danilo Gallinari um, could maybe even be a better version of that next season. Um, And Mike, that sort of leads me to where I wanted to finish off. I I feel like all of us who have covered the Knicks over the last, um, what is it, like seven months now without basketball, like some crazy amount of time, um, you've gone through basically like every name in the league, every draft pick. Um, and you've thought about all these guys. Is there one person, and this could be either a draft pick or a free agent or a trade target that you've just fallen in love with? And you've said, I just like whatever happens, I would love to watch this guy on the Knicks next year. I think he would be a great fit with their young guys. I think he would make them better. And I just think the Knicks would be a more fun team to watch with this one person. Is there an individual who you, Mike Borkanov, have fallen in love with? Um, I mean, it seems kind of obvious to say but like watching chris paul for a full season would be really fun mm. um I, you know he's i i think he's still one of the top 15 players in the league and i think aside like if you if you remove i guess the cap implications and what it says about what you <clears throat> what you're doing with your future um which i think is also in discussion but just like if chris paul's on the knicks for the next season i think they would win more games they would um play a lot better i think it would be good for rj barrett i think it would be good for mitchell robinson i think it would be good for frank nilakina and, and kevin knox and all those young players uh, if they're still all still around in, in that acquisition like I, I think that would benefit them a lot and i think it would be a lot of fun to watch one of the best point guards ever do his thing for a year or two um aside from that uh you know i'm trying to think I don't know if there's anyone that I'm like totally in love with. I, I think in this draft or in free agency, I, I don't know. I think like it would be interesting if they took a shot on someone like uh, Poku at 27, if he's there, or I don't know if they're really feeling themselves. Maybe if they trade down to like 13 and take him there, I don't know something like that. Just cause he seems like an interesting combination of skills and height. Um, uh, the more I watch killing Hayes, the, I like him. Um, I sit in watching more of guys like Devin Vassell, um, I, I, I don't know. There's no one that I've like, that I just, I, I think would be a perfect fit or would be a, really a lot of fun to watch, but I, I just think it would be more like, and I know this is, uh, somewhat reductive, but I think it would be more fun to watch the Knicks if they were better. Um, and so the, <laughs> if they can acquire players that make them better, I think that would be an overall improvement in aesthetics. Um, yeah. so like if you watch Danilo Gallinari for a full season, that would make him better. And he's kind of interesting, right? Same thing with Fred Van Vliet. Um, so really that, that's my biggest thing is just, if you get better players, you're more interesting to watch. And I think the, the, it would be an improvement for the whole team. I, I don't know. It, it seems kind of dumb to say that. And no. maybe that's like a bad answer, but just get the good players. No, good I, players I, are good I, to watch. I, I think these, we, I feel like such a dick podcast, like where I think me and Alex, like we've, we've had, we've done a bunch of episodes on Chris Paul in particular, and like both sort of came down on like, it's kind of just worth it to be bad for one more season. But like, in some ways, like, I feel like that's when you're almost getting a little bit too granular. And like, like, obviously, you want to focus on the long term and, and, and you want a chance like in a great draft to come away with the generational talent. Um, but like, on the other hand, like Chris Paul, and like, this is I know this will be sacrilegious to some people, not not the current iteration. Um, of him, but like Chris Paul just is like a historical entity. Like you can make the argument that would be the greatest player to ever have been on the Knicks. And I know obviously like you could throw Clyde and Ewing and even like someone like T-Mac, even though he played like 15 games um, into that mix. But like he, he would have a legitimate case. And even this current version of Chris Paul, probably the best player they've had in the last two decades outside of 12, 13 Mello. So there's just something to be said for like watching that guy for a year and watching someone who 
is like quite literally like a genius at what he does. Like he's one of the smartest, like most like persnickety like players of all time. And it would just be cool to have like that kind of competitive edge and like the confidence that would imbue in guys like RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, like you can't really replicate in any other way. And I think that's something I, Alex, and I want to put you in this category, but for me, I think when I get like a little bit too fixated on like, all right, but what's like the absolutely like cold robotic, like computer percentage play that they're going to be best in the future, like versus just like, Hey, it would be really, really cool to watch Chris Paul for 80 games or 50 games or however long next season is. Yeah. And I wanted to, yeah, I, I sort of mirror most of what you just said there, Gavin, like uh, from a, from an armchair GM perspective, I'm definitely on board with, uh, with just tanking and, you know, getting the best chance at a, top pick but the the prospect of watching Chris Paul particularly you know when we were in that like afterglow of the OKC bubble run I know that we were probably more warm on getting Chris Paul than than we are now a little you know month two after that uh which is probably telling you know it's like part of being in the moment and you watch Chris Paul and you're like damn that would be real fun on the Knicks and then you take more time off to kind of just sit there and be like yeah, but the smart thing would be to tank. But like, it'd be so fun to watch. But him what's play. tanking? Like, seriously, like, what, ta- we tanking had... at this point, I think I don't even think they'd have to try to. I think tanking at this point is just turn down all the options on you know Peyton, Portis, Ellington, keep Bullock. I think because I think he's just valuable to have around regardless, uh, particularly on that contract. You know, as a trade chip, maybe, um, maybe you keep Randall. Maybe you try to trade him, but basically just draft your guys and. If you just do that and then maybe sign one or two supplemental free agents, you're basically at a full roster anyway. And that's my version of it's not necessarily being like 76ers, like we're going to try to be as bad as possible. But I think the reality is, is if you if you throw a lineup out there that's going to heavily feature like Frank Milikina, RJ Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, um, trying to revitalize Dennis Smith Jr., you know, et cetera, et cetera. Plus, like, whoever you take in the draft this year with all three of those picks, you know, I, I think you're just going to kind of be bad regardless. Um, and it, you won't necessarily try to be, and you'll try to see improvement from your players and all that, but you're not, you're not going to push for the playoffs or anything. Like, you're going to end up in the bottom 10 of the league, probably in the bottom five, if I had to guess. I mean, the, the um, Pelicans won the Pelicans won the lottery the year they won 33 games, right? Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the Hornets got the number three pick this year. They won 23 games in, in 65 games. So, I don't know, it's like a 30-win pace, right, approximately. Mm-hmm. So, it's not as if tanking means be atrociously bad, right? It doesn't mean be a 20-win team. You know, yeah. It just means, like, you can be bad and still get better this offseason, but without going all out for it and still have a good chance at a top three pick in the 2021 draft, which seems to be if you're against like the Chris Paul trade or, um, or, you know, saying like really trying to level up in this off season, it's, you're saying we don't want to, uh, really just like negate our chances of doing well in the 2021 draft, right? You can do both making your team better, as you said, making dis- uh, discreet choices, uh, that will also leave you with a good chance probably, of uh, of you know of not getting too high a pick next next off season whenever that is. Yeah, we've, yeah. we've made this point a few times, but the ninth seed in the East could translate to like the like tenth pick, or is it? Because I just think the West next year is so like you, you look at it like, and every team could 
like it, it's not going to play out this way, but every team will feel like they can make a realistic argument that they should be in the playoffs next season. And I think even the quote unquote, like higher end competitive East teams, like that could end up netting you a number one pick with the way the lottery odds are now. All right. And Mike, uh, we're getting close to the end here, but I, I felt like we should definitely get into one more thing, which is you wrote a really good story for the athletic uh, that was about James Zolan and the sort of saga that he had. Uh, Congressman Max Rose uh, out of New York made comments saying, uh, you know, that Dolan should sell the team. Dolan then turned around and gave $50,000, if I'm not mistaken, to a super PAC uh, that benefits Republicans and went all out and, you know, straight up went to the New York Post, gave them a story and said, you know, I, I, I'm not okay with him politicizing my team. And, you know, as a result, I'm donating to his opponents, more or less. Uh, but that also means giving to Republicans, and some of which are Trump Republicans in this area. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious, like, I guess, first, like, about your foray into <laughs> sort of foray into politics journalism here, like, because James Dolan it just found a way to politicize the Knicks um, in a time when the Knicks haven't played in six months and should really have nothing to do with the upcoming election. Um, I, I guess just what was your sort of takeaway from this story where you, you didn't just talk to Rose, but you talked to Andrew Yang, who was a, you know, obviously a pretty upstart uh, presidential candidate. You also talked to a uh, New York state Senator, Brad Hoyleman, who has had his own little, spat with MSG in a way because he's been fighting to try to get MSG to pay taxes, uh, which they haven't in years and years and years, which has saved Dolan like hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so what was it like kind of writing that story and, and dipping your toe into the political waters a little bit, uh, which I'm sure you probably weren't planning on doing this off has just sort of happened in this endless off season. Uh, yeah, I definitely was not. Um, I, I do want to say off the top because I've gotten like an email about this and some tweets like I this story was not written as some way to like get into uh, like partisan politics. It was written because in what really spread this idea was, you know, James Dolan, as you said, told the New York Post uh, that he was uh, donating $50,000 to a uh, Republican PAC so that he could try to get um, Max Rose's, uh, you know, Max Rose out of office in this 2020 election, right? And his reasoning for it was that Max Rose said that he should sell the team, right? And so that is what set him off. And, you know, I think everyone knows by now that James Dolan had been a big donor to the Republican Party and to President Donald Trump over the last few years. But this was explicitly for Nick's reasons, right? Like, and Max Rose, not the first politician to kind of make fun of the Knicks or to say that James Dolan is a bad owner. Andrew Yang did it when he was running for um, the Democratic nomination in the primaries in 2019. I think Jamal Bowman, who's a, a Knicks fan and is running for a congressional spot, um, I believe in the Bronx, um, has also you know has also said some things about the Knicks. Right, like this is not just Max Rose doing it. So the the thing that popped in my head was. Knicks now being politicized, right? Like by James Dolan saying he doesn't want the Knicks being politicized, has he done that very same thing? And so I talked to those people, as you said, and, and I just thought it was interesting because now is he going to be wading into it um, more frequently, right? You know, into like any time a politician says sell the Knicks or sell the team or says something bad, bad about the Knicks, like is he going to respond with a donation to their opponent? Like where is this all going? 
was just basically my thought. And, and is this a way to essentially kind of like have a chilling effect on any of those politicians saying something about him and the Knicks going forward? It doesn't seem like Max Rose or Andrew Yang or um, State Senator Brad Hoylman, as you said, who represents uh, the 27th uh, Senate district in New York, which is, I don't know if you Google it, is very weird. It is basically the entire area of Midtown and the West Side around Madison Square Garden, but not including Madison Square Garden. Um, and it just it doesn't seem like they much care if if they become kind of political foes with James Dolan. And I, I just thought that was interesting that this is the time now that he decides to um, be ever louder about his political machinations, um, especially considering how politics are becoming, I think, openly more divisive than we'd seen before. Um, I'm not sure if it was you or your editor, but I just want to give you guys credit for the picture you picked. Like James Dolan in, in, in the cover photo for this article looks like an Oompa Loompa who just fell in the chocolate fountain and is like very upset about it. And it just it's really it's a it's a perfect like villainous expression for him. But I, I do I do find it interesting in just sort of a, a wider NBA perspective, because obviously like, the Knicks were like initially like at like the um, like peak of like the Black Lives Matter movement this summer where every team was putting out um, social justice messages like the Knicks were like relatively like low key and like people were like giving them shit for it. And, and then at the same time, like other people pointing out like, yeah, but like in terms of like practical stuff, they're actually doing a lot more than like a lot of other teams. And like it, it seemed like in a lot of ways, the Knicks were far from the worst offender of any NBA team and actually like backed up their like somewhat limited talk in, in ways that other teams hadn't. And, and Dolan um, seems to have like a very good history of like hiring minority executives. So in, in some ways, like at least like it's hard to gauge like in a general sense that they're doing good, but the Knicks have been far from the worst in a lot of these areas. But then it, it gets into like this like very specific thing where like, okay, but then um, like if your owner is like openly like donating the maximum amount to Donald Trump and is like donating against democratic congressmen because he didn't like that they said uh, one bad thing about his ownership. Um, doesn't that uh, negate or at the very least mitigate like a lot of the, positive that you're doing and i feel like there are a lot of people who don't want to like associate the two and saying like look like if someone's like having good practices on their own um you shouldn't use that like um like th that should allow them to like have their own like quote-unquote political beliefs like the sanctity of like individuals beliefs but i think like once you're donating that money like like the practical effect of that is like it's incredibly like negative for the minority communities you're like allegedly like a supporter of and and wanted to help out to so i don't really know if there's a question in there mike but i i guess just like how do you think this shapes like the opinion of the Knicks amongst other players and teams and it gets into like a deeper thing of like how politically cognizant like players really are but i i, I guess it's a long-winded way of saying it can't be very good yeah, I mean, I don't know if this really kind of breaks through and uh, gets on the radar of NBA players. You know, this is kind of like uh, um, it kind of like, I guess, an interesting local politics story. Right. Max Rose is really uh, seems to be into it and having a feud with James Dolan. Um, I doubt that NBA this will rise to a level where NBA players care. I mean, maybe this is something where more Knicks fans kind of get antagonized by James Dolan. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if that's possible or not, um, but you know, I, I think I, you know, the the interesting thing is, and, and not that this is you know new or anything, but like we saw the story from the Ringer, I think it was last week, um, just about the political donations of NBA owners, right? Which is comp the the way that they spend their money is differently than the messaging that the league and the teams put out, right? Um, which is.
something that players surely knew about before, but and now it's even more in their face. And so how they respond to that is going to be interesting and, and what they make of that. Um, I, and I truly don't know what the answer will be. And also, you know, you know, you know what Knicks fans feel about uh, their owner spending on political candidates that they don't back, um, including President Trump. And you, you have to ask that because I, I think we've I forget who put it on. I think it might have been Jeffrey Ballone, and he made a point, and this is not something I want to get into in the story because it just wasn't about that, but um, people are speaking now with their money uh, aligning with their political beliefs more than ever, right? Um, and how will that work with the Knicks? We don't we don't know, and I don't know if there will even be fans in the arena for a while anyway, uh, or I guess you can do with ratings, but you know, if we keep hearing about how people are done with politics and sports, how does that work when it's the reverse as well? I, I was just kind of curious. Do you get any personal blowback from the Knicks for writing an article like this? Like, do you get an email or something? Um, Does anything happen to you for writing an article like this? And that would be like kind of like an insane question with most franchises. But like clearly, like Dolan takes this stuff very personally. The Athletic is like a prominent publication. Like, is is this like on their radar? Just just the fact that you wrote about this. I, I haven't heard anything since. I mean, I reached out to the Knicks for a comment twice, as I said in the story. Um and uh, then asked for an opportunity to speak with James Dolan about it. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. Um, I don't know. We'll see what's going on going forward. I don't really hear from the Knicks after stories very frequently. I think only really one story has uh, has set them off in the past, and I haven't heard from them about this one. All right. Well, uh, we'll certainly check back in. You know, Maybe you can let us know if they ever do get back to you on it, and we can have <laughs> you back on to uh, discuss that. Uh, if and that day they, ever comes, I mean, at this point, there's no access anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've had three Zoom <laughs> since March or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I and with the tight-lipped front office and everything else too, even on the basketball side, there's not too much coming out of MSG at the moment. Um, well, Mike, this was awesome. Um, thanks for coming on. You know, as as always, and uh, you know, did you want to just let everybody know? Uh, where to find you online and any pieces that you're working on or ones that you just recently did on the athletic. Uh, I've got some stuff going for the future. I need to actually finish them off before I can start talking about them. I don't want to, I'm I'm very uh, jinxy as a reporter. Um, (laughs) I don't believe in my ability to actually finish off the ideas that I want to go down. Um, But, you know, subscribe to the athletic, check out the work there. And uh, I'm on Twitter, although I can't ever recommend anyone to go onto Twitter. Yeah, I mean, listen, I hope you're all subscribed to The Athletic, if not for the Knicks coverage for, I think, like literally every other sport that we cover. I read a lot of uh, our EPL, Chelsea coverage and NFL coverage, Um, and I've been told it's the baseball playoffs as well. And so, uh, you know, we have I try to cover the, the Knicks as best as I can. We have a lot of other people that cover the, them, them as well, cover the entire league. Uh, and um, yeah, every once in a while we have a, a deal on there. And if you go to theathletic.com or click on one of the stories that I tweet out, you can go there and see how you can uh, subscribe if you're not on yet. All right. Awesome. Uh, thanks again, Mike. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.